First Peter <coughs> chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. The text says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. O Lord, open your word today to our understanding, and work your sanctifying grace in us to make us more holy, more separated unto you, even as our Lord Jesus Christ is holy, in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's obvious from reading Peter's writings that he's not a novice in being aware of the struggles in the Christian life. Old bad habits are hard to break. New ways of thinking, renewing of the mind have to be developed. Attitudes have to come under submission to God's word. And there are the spiritual battles against the world, the flesh that is our old sinful nature, and the devil that are the frequent diet of the Christian believer. I don't think that Peter wants us to come under the same description that he himself once said about the Apostle Paul, that some of his writings are difficult to understand. So in this passage, Peter speaks very plainly. It's not hard to get the point across that he's trying to make. And that is that the Christian should pursue righteousness, that is, the goodness of a godly sort, and at the same time reject evil, reject all forms of evil, reject everything that is opposed to God, and raises its fist in opposition to God. So, a way we could summarize Paul's teaching in this passage is like this. Righteousness, yes. Evil, no. Very simply, that's the point I believe he's trying to get across here. Well, as we read through these five verses, which we've already done we see that almost every phase, every phrase that is our sentence can be put in one of these two categories. Either righteousness to be embraced or evil to be avoided. Well, let's begin at verse 8. Now, let's remember the context here. Uh, it's in the whole idea of submission. And uh, Peter has been talking to wives and husbands and telling them how they should relate to one another. And then he was speaking to employees or slaves. Uh, and then now to people in the churches of Asia Minor. 
the context here is interpersonal relationships in the church. That's the context here. Uh, he's writing to Christians. There are certain attitudes and behavior that we should demonstrate to one another, but sometimes we do fail. We may say something to somebody in the church, one of our brothers and sisters, that was not loving, that was derogatory, that was hurtful, and we can do any kind of sinful action towards somebody in the church. And so we find that in the church as we live and flesh out our life together, we have to bear with one another's weaknesses and sins and forgive one another and support and help one another in all of our various struggles. So this is a hospital for sinners, we hear it sometimes, right? We're all on the pilgrim path trying to help one another, spur one another on in the Christian life. So he says here in verse 8, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So what Peter is doing is he's exhorting the people in these churches to exemplify, to pursue these five Christian virtues. And I spoke a little bit about them in the last sermon. There's unity of mind. So Peter is saying that we in the church need to be in agreement with one another in the essential matters of our faith, of our service, of our fellowship, of our mission in the world. Be an essential agreement according to the Word of God. He says we should have sympathy toward one another, sympathy towards those among us who may be suffering. Uh, from various problems, physically, mentally, financially, relationship-wise. We need to suffer with our brothers and sisters and help them carry their burdens. So we should love one another as much as we would love somebody in our blood-related family, if not more. He says we should also have a tender heart. This is so important. Uh, now, Peter was a rough-hewn fisherman. He was used to being out on the lake all night, dealing with boats and things, and he was brash. We know that. So evidently, he had come to learn to be tender-hearted, in spite of his uh, probably strong physical appearance and his uh, tendency to react uh, without thinking. But he wants us to be tender-hearted, to be touched with concern for the suffering and the sins of other people in the church. Um, one of the hymns we sing, we sing written by John Calvin, it talks about uh, Jesus having perfect gentleness. I love that phrase because Jesus is gentle with us sinners, and we need to be gentle with other people. Uh, humility also should mark our behavior, our lives. Not arrogance, not being proud of ourselves in a, a self-boasting way, but 
to have humility. Humility means basically to recognize how great God is and how puny we are in comparison to Him and how needful we are uh, of His grace in our lives. So, recognizing our own sins and our own indebtedness to God is always a safe mindset to have in relating to other people. A humble mind will carry us a long way toward positive relationship with others. Let me say that again. A humble mind will carry us a long way toward having positive relationships with others. I don't mean being a doormat, but recognizing our true place before Almighty God and our own equality and needs with other saved sinners. Now he goes on in verse 9. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. We don't use this word reviling too much. So let me give you a definition. It means to criticize someone strongly or say unpleasant things to someone or about someone. Well, Peter now begins to tell us about some things we need to avoid, to put away from our lives. Uh, We don't need to be reviling or repaying evil for evil. This kind of attitude, you did this to hurt me, so I'm going to do something to hurt you. When people revile us, that is, criticize us, say bad things about us, even if it's somebody in the church, we should not revile them back or say bad things about them. Proverbs says this, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, he will deliver you. Do not say, I will do to him as he's done to me. I will pay back the man for what he's done. So Proverbs say, don't have that kind of attitude. Jesus says, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus also said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He also said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So the scriptures are strong here and plain. The apostle takes up this same theme in the book of Romans. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Never, he says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Says Paul, if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's always a shock to somebody when they're treating you evilly and you respond in love and kindness. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now the model in all this is the the Lord Jesus himself. It says in 1 Peter 2.23, When he was reviled, 
He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We see this prophesied, for example, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. It says this, I gave my back, it's a messianic prophecy, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and spitting. Matthew's gospel, we read that when they spit in his face and struck him, some slapped him, Jesus did not respond negatively. They were mocking him. Luke's gospel tells us that they were mocking Jesus. They beat him. But he did not respond negatively to them. He just took it. In the olive grove, when I think it was Peter cut off the servant's ear with his sword, Jesus picked up his ear and put it back and healed him. In the early church, we see this same kind of uh, non-retaliatory behavior emphasized. For example, Stephen, the first martyr, martyr, was being stoned. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees and he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them as the rocks were pummeting him. And he was bleeding. He was on the ground. He cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Well, the text says, instead of reviling back, it says, on the contrary, when people are abusing you, saying bad things about you, reviling you, bless them. Now, this is human behavior that's not normal, okay? (laughs) It takes the grace of God to be able to do this. Jesus says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Bless those who persecute you, says Paul. Bless and do not curse them. He practically repeats what Jesus said. Now, there were several martyrs in the early early century, we'll say, of the Christian church. Some of them were women. There's one lady named Blondina. She was persecuted for being a Christian. She was suspended on a piece of wood that was stuck in the ground and placed in the arena for the wild beasts as the people in the Colosseum cheered on the wild beasts. She prayed, though, for the others with her who were being martyred. She maintained her faith in Christ. She would not deny Christ. They took her back to the prison. They brought her out again to be tortured again. And her faith outraged the crowd. But there was a young man with her being persecuted, and he was greatly encouraged by her strong faith. They were unmercifully punished. She was finally killed with a sword is now listed among the Christian martyrs of the church. She kept her faith. She was faithful. She did not retaliate. But she maintained her Christian composure. 
Well, <clears throat> Peter says, 1 Peter 2.21, For this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. So Blandina and many other martyrs followed the steps of Christ. Now, Peter goes on here and to reinforce his exhortation for us to be humble and bless others who may treat us badly, he quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16, and he follows it pretty closely. So what does he do? He's exhorting, he's teaching, he's commanding. As an apostle, he has the right to do that. He's been anointed by the Spirit. The churches in Asia Minor. So he goes back to the Old Testament. He says, look what it says here. Let's put this to work in your lives. And he begins to quote. Verse uh, 10 says, For whoever desires to love life, and remember he's quoting Psalm 34, and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. Well, this is a theme in the Psalms. Keep our tongues from evil. Psalm 15.3 Do not slander with the tongue. Do no evil to your neighbor. Psalm 39.1 says, I will guard my ways that I might not sin with my tongue. I'll put a guard on my mouth like a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. So he goes on, quoting from Psalm 34, let him keep his tongue from evil. If he desires good life and to see good days and keep his lips from speaking deceit. Psalm 32, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and who in whose spirit there is no deceit. I can remember a time when I deceived a few people before I became a Christian. When I look back on that, I can't believe I did that. But I did. I was a flat-out deceiver. James 1.26, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. We've got to bridle our tongues, especially when we're getting ready to say something bad, hurtful, or evil. Back in 1 Peter 2, 1, Peter said, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. These things should not characterize our lives. There again, he points to the example of the Lord Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now, in Revelation 14, verse 4 and 5, we see these people, these select group of people following the Lamb wherever he goes. And it describes them as saying, They've been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb 
and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. So one of the characteristics of these godly followers of the Lamb is that they did not lie. They were truth tellers. <coughs> now, we see a number of examples in the scriptures of people who were deceivers. For example, Jacob deceived his father when he went out and prepared a meal for his father and he came in and brought it to his father Isaac and said, I'm Esau, your firstborn. He wasn't the firstborn, he wasn't Esau. I prepared you a meal. Eat it, enjoy it, and then bless me. So he did that. And so he got the blessing. Jacob stole the blessing from his brother Esau by deceiving his father. Joseph's brothers deceived their father when they took Joseph's coat they slaughtered a male goat dipped it in blood and said we found this does this belong to your son so the father thought the son had been uh, killed by a lion or something so they deceived their father one of the great deceivers in the New Testament was Herod King Herod when the Magi came searching for the newborn king of the Jews, he said, well, go find him. When you find him, come tell me so that I too may go and worship him. He wasn't going to worship him. He was going to kill him. So he tried to deceive the wise men, <coughs> but he was unsuccessful because the Lord intervened. <coughs> and we know about Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. They sold this land they had and they brought part of the money and said, this is the whole amount. They were trying to get people to look upon them as such generous Christians. They were trying to deceive. Peter said, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? Well, these people were Christians, as far as we know, but they also deceived their brothers and sisters, and they paid a heavy price. The Lord struck them dead. Well, the original liar and deceiver was Satan himself. One day Jesus was speaking to the Jews. He said in John 8, 44, You are of your father the devil. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. When the devil came to Eve in the garden. He said, Did God say don't eat of any of the trees? The woman said, he, he did say, we could eat of the trees, but not that one over there. The knowledge of good and evil, they'll say, oh, surely, it's not going to hurt you. Go ahead and eat it. You'll be like God. He was <coughs> lying and deceiving Eve. But you know, Jesus was the supreme truth teller. He said in John 8, 55, when he was talking to the Jews. He said, You have not known him, that is, his father, but I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Jesus had to confess who he really was. He couldn't deny that. When he was on trial, at the end of his life, before the high priest, the high 
priest says, I adjure you, I require you to swear. Matthew 26, by the living God, tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus said, yes, I am the Christ. You're going to see me coming on the clouds of glory. Now, Peter, as we know, out of cowardness, denied that he knew the Lord Jesus when Jesus was being crucified or being tried. But you know what? <clears throat> Jesus restored him and gave him courage. And so, instead of being a coward, after the Holy Spirit filled him, he stood up before the whole city and he spoke truth to them. In Acts 2, 23, he speaks to the Jews in the city. And he said, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, Jesus, the Son of God. But God raised him up. He did not back down. He told it like it was. You crucified the Son of God. Well, Peter goes on to say, if you'd live, if you'd like to see good days and a good life, turn away from evil and do good. Verse 11. In other words, here are these two parallel mindsets, two parallel behaviors. What's the Christian to do? Turn away from evil and instead do good. Peter is constantly or occasionally, regularly talk about having good conduct to refute the slanders and the reviling of those who would seek to bring down the Christians in the eyes of the population. Job 28, verse 28 says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Isaiah, the prophet, in chapter 1, says this to the people. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, before Yahweh's eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good. Isaiah was saying exactly what Peter was saying. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Again, the Proverbs say, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. What is our calling as Christians? To turn away from evil whenever we're confronted with it whenever we're tempted by it to turn away from it to go toward it to embrace it as reckless and careless and sinful what's the secret of turning away from evil proverbs 16:6 by the fear of the lord one turns away from evil if we fear the lord we'll turn away from evil 
Peter goes on. He says, let him seek peace and pursue it. Pursue righteousness. Seek peace. Jesus said, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Paul, again in Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes people may want to pick a fight with us. So that's why he says, if at all possible, live peaceably with everyone. He says in chapter 14 of Romans, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's what we should be doing, building up one another in the faith, not tearing down one another. Unfortunately, sometimes it happens in the church and human relationships. We are not perfect, but we have to strive to build one another up, not tear one another down. Hebrews 12, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The eye of love. The eye of being proud and happy. When the Lord looks upon the righteous, he is pleased. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, says the psalmist, and on those who hope in his steadfast love. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So he says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. You remember when... Jesus healed that blind man in John chapter 9. And the Jewish leaders came and interrogated him. Who was the guy that healed you? He's a sinner. (laughs) And so the man who was blind says this to them. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So the blind man is saying, this Jesus is a worshiper of God and he does God's will. That's why he was able to heal me. The Father's ears were open to the prayers of Jesus. The Lord's ears are open to the ears of the righteous. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we are people who by the grace of God are seeking to please God and to be faithful to him. We saw uh, last time that in, in the case of husbands, if they're not honoring their wives, it will hinder their prayers. And so here, the Lord's ear is open to the prayers of the righteous, those who are rejecting evil and seeking to be righteous, to live righteously, to please the Lord. But his ears and eyes are open to the righteous. But on the other hand, 
the face of the Lord. This is pretty strong language here, right? The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Can you imagine having the face of God against you? That is a terrible situation. God's face to be against you. Well, his face is against those who do evil. For example, in the Old Testament, Leviticus 20, verse 3, Yahweh says, I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech. This is a pagan worship. To make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. Somebody who would do that vile kind of thing. The face of the Lord is against that man. Another example, Jeremiah 21.10. Yahweh says, I've set my face against this city, Jerusalem, for harm and not good, says the Lord. It shall be given to the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall burn it with fire. And that's exactly what happened. Because the Jews did not honor and worship Yahweh and remain faithful to him. Later on in 1 Peter, the apostle says this, chapter 4, verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. That's us, folks, the household of God. It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So we need to live our lives in the fear of God. Turning away from evil, but embracing that which is good and righteous. Paul says in Romans 2.9, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. So what we see here in this passage, first of all, begins in verse 8 with five positive virtues that we should embrace, that we should incorporate into our lives. And then it goes on telling us what we need to reject, what we need not to do. We do not need to be repaying evil with evil or reviling people who revile us. But what should we do? We should bless them. We should be kind to them when they're unkind to us. When they curse us, we should bless them. We should reject the use of our tongues for deceitful or evil purposes. Instead, do good. Do that which the Word of God lays out before us as good and holy and righteous and kind and compassionate behavior toward other people. He says, seek peace and pursue it. Not argument, not strife, but peace. Seek for that. He says, the three ways to live a long and good life. That is, to use our tongues for holy purposes, not unholy purposes. Not deceiving, not lying, but speaking the truth, 
speaking the gospel, speaking words of compassion, love, and tenderheartedness. We need to turn from evil to do good. Why do we need to do the good? Well, it's because the Lord sees what we do, what we say. He sees the righteous. His ears are alert to the prayers of His people. But He's against those who do evil. So this is motivation enough to do the good and to reject the evil. Pursue righteousness. Run after it. Run after it and catch it. Don't let it go. Righteousness and goodness. And in the same amount of energy and activity, reject evil. Put it away from ourselves. And reviling, tearing down other people. I think there's a summary of this kind of way of life this spiritual way of life that Paul gives us in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So it's God working within us. But we're not passive. We have to throw our entire human effort, energy, mental, physical, emotional Uh, resources into this spiritual path, this warfare that we're on. It's God. It's God who's doing this in us. He's sanctifying us. He's making us more like Christ so that we'll want to do His good pleasure and we'll work for His good pleasure. Well, What does Peter do here? He's exhorting these Christians to live exemplary Christian lives before the pagan world. And he goes back to the Old Testament. Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16, I believe it is. He says, look here. This is what God commanded the Old Testament saints to live, have this kind of mindset, this kind of attitude. You do the same, but you have something that they didn't have. You have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit from Christ, shed blood, resurrection, and ascension poured out upon you. You can do this. You can do it by the grace of God. Follow the model of the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not revile back. There was no deceit in his mouth. The apostles followed the model of Jesus, their master, and lived these kind of exemplary lives before the pagans. Evil is very serious. It's very damaging in our own personal lives and the lives of others. So we need to reject every form of evil that may come our way. Righteousness, yes. Evil, no. We need to be active, not passive in the sanctification process. We just don't lay back and say, well, if God wants to mature me, I'll let him do it. 
No, we have to throw ourselves into the battle for truth. There is a danger of igniting the Lord's anger against us by sin. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean he won't punish us, whip us, discipline us. If we reject that which we know is right and embrace evil. We don't want to do that. Peter is giving these people and through them by the inspiration of the Spirit to us today his exhortations and when it's an apostolic exhortation it's more than just an exhortation. It is a command from God. We have to heed it. And he leans heavily on Psalm 34. Given to God's people under the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, we have the permanent indwelling Holy Spirit. So we have power by the grace of God to live this kind of life. Even blessing others when they curse us or mistreat us. So by the Lord's help, may our speech and our conduct be a blessing and be good in the lives of others, even if they don't treat us kindly or even if they abuse us. For in responding positively, kindly, in love and forgiveness, we are following in the steps of the Lord Jesus and his face will shine on us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, help us to be a blessing to others, especially to those brothers and sisters of ours in the church. Even if we offend or hurt one another, help us to forgive and return good and blessing to them instead of retaliation. Help us, Lord, to embrace righteousness and to reject evil in our lives. Help us to follow our Lord's steps, speaking truth and healing, seeking peace and pursuing it. So your name, therefore, will be exalted in our lives and others will gain the benefit of our Christ-like responses. We ask this in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.